You know, one of the things I've always appreciated about uh, Grace Community Church and um, and how they do ministry is they work really hard at developing young kids. Um, I'm 51 now, so anyone that's below 30 to me is a young kid. But, uh, you know, through even junior high and high school and middle school and high school, uh, developing people to do ministry, to do music ministry in this case. And, you know, just um, as I'm worshiping the Lord, also looking at, you know, the four that we have up here. Just, it's just neat to see how God works at the different ages that we have and um, the talent that God's given them. And so I just appreciate that um, and appreciate Grace uh, in their ministry that way. And that's what we're doing here as, as much as we can. We want people to be developed and growing in their ministry and uh, being a part of that. You might be wondering why I'm wearing uh, this particular shirt today. This is the Grace 2 Plus race car. I call it the retro machine this year because you went retro. So Brian's here, uh, Brian and Kim. Uh, Brian was part of our launch team coming out of Grace, and um, since that responsibility is over, um, they're, heading back, they're back down to Fremont. But Brian races this car, and I figure since he goes around a track with Grace Community Church on his the wing, I can run around the platform with him on my shirt. <laughs> that, I was going to say him on my chest, but that, that sounds kind of like a tattoo or some sort. <laughs> we don't want to have that. That would be awkward. Um, anyways, so it's just, you know, and it's kind of a neat thing how we can represent Christ and represent our church in some different ways, and this is a very different way. Um, so anytime Brian's out racing, he raced yesterday afternoon. Season kicked off last weekend, right, at Attica, right? You raced down there, and so they raced at Fremont. Was that the kickoff for Fremont? Okay. So anyways, if you get a chance to go down, um, you know, most, are, most of them are on Saturdays when they race, and get a chance to go down there and root Brian on and uh, be a part of that. Uh, I'm going to try to get down there this year. I haven't been down there. I missed last year. Sorry. But I'm wearing a shirt. That's all that matters. Um, one other thing, too. Um, it's not in my, my notes, but I want to just reiterate it. So Kim and I are going to be doing those get-togethers at our house. Um, and one of the key things about you know, in a, being a part of a church is find different ways that you can connect in with people and get to know people and that kind of stuff. And so Kim and I like to try to help with that as much as we can. So um, in spite of what our house looks like inside, uh, we're going to uh, do that again and invite people over to our house. And so there's a sign-up sheet for that and uh, just asking your name and how many would be attending and what weekend evening works the best for you. And then we'll, uh, we did it in the fall and I think it went really well. It's a great opportunity to, for us to get to know you, you get us to know us, plus you get to know other people as well. So uh, make sure you sign up for that. And as we do that, we'll get that information out to people as to what weekend works. Well, go ahead and uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. We're continuing this um, series of parables, simple stories, profound truth. And I'm, uh, I'm working through Matthew 13 and, the, and the, the parables that Jesus has there. It's page 972 in the Pew Bible if you're uh, using that. And... Uh, I don't have any interesting illustrations to start out with. I don't have any literary hooks to draw you in to what we're going to be talking about this morning. Not that I do that quite often anyways, but um, I, this morning, what I'm, and I've mentioned this before, I, I just have a, 
Um, right now, I know that we have people going through difficult times, and I, I can't help uh, but be thinking about that on a regular basis, and how can I, as a pastor, encourage people who are going through difficult times and struggles in their lives? And So um, this is one of the ways I can do that, and these two parables we're going to look at today, I think, uh, help me do that, help the Lord do that, which is more important. And so we want to look at these two uh, parables this morning in, in Matthew 13. They go back to back. Um, and, and my goal is that I, I'm hoping it breathes some uh, fresh air into your life if you're feeling kind of claustrophobic because of the, the things you're going through. I, I hope it's, you can see a light at the end of the tunnel and know that it's not a freight train. <laughs> that's coming down the tracks, that, okay, there's an end to this, there's a purpose for this, there's a reason why I'm going through this, how can I best um, use it to, to my growth and to the growth that Christ wants to have. And uh, always remember that Jesus Christ is our hope. Okay, it's in Christ. When we put Christ into the equation of anything that's going on in our lives, he's the one who brings it meaning, he's the one who brings it purpose, and he's the one who's going to use it um, and encourage us through it. So, so we're going to look at two very short, uh, simple stories that have great profundity. See, you gotta when you use a word like that, you gotta kind of go with the English accent, otherwise it doesn't profundity. See, it doesn't profundity. That means profound. Profundity. Can you guys try? Try it. Profundity. Oh, beautiful. man, you guys are so intellectual. It's just wow. It's good stuff. All right. Anyways. I need every help I can get to try to sound like I'm smart. All right. I'm from Chicago. I have a Chicago accent. We're not known for sounding smart. All right. Follow, so follow along as I read. We're going to Matthew 13, verse 31 through 33. So we're not covering a whole bunch, but again, these are small, but they have some profound meaning to them. So this is Jesus Christ again teaching. Um, and if you've been here, you're, you know you realize we've been kind of working through this, and he's got parable upon parable, and they're kind of stacking up on each other, and the disciples are asking questions of certain ones, but not others, and they don't seem to ask any questions about these two, so they, maybe they get it and they understand it. Um, but I think these two parables need to be together, and so we're going to look at them together this morning. So it says this, He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the ear come and nest in its branches. He spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. So what's the profound truth that we find in these stories? So I'm going to give those to you first, and then we're going to break it down to see how I got to those, all right? So number one, the mustard seed parable. Here's the profound truth, that the kingdom of heaven, this side of heaven, it's always, because Jesus is telling us what the kingdom of heaven looks like here on earth. So the kingdom of heaven starts out small, but becomes the greatest kingdom ever, all right? Does that sound like a fair Profound truth coming out of that, like the one spiritual truth coming out. Everybody agree with me on that? Okay, thank you. Good. All right. That's something. And then eleven, the kingdom of heaven becomes the greatest ever because of its ability to penetrate and permeate the world. 
All right, sound good? All right, Caleb's with me. That's all that matters to me. As long as I'm Caleb. All right. So let's look at this stuff and see how this can kind of breathe some fresh air into our lives. And especially if you're going through some difficult times, um, kind of give you some hope and encouragement. And So mustard seed. So it starts out small. All right. And uh, you can see, I don't know if you can see it there up in that palm there, the little one there. It's right on the tip of a finger right there. And so it's the smallest of all garden seeds, basically. Now, I'm sure there'll be somebody who goes, oh, it's not, I know some smaller seeds. Jesus is just making a point here that it's very, 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 very small, which I think we can all agree that it is very, 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 very small, right? This particular mustard seed, it's a Palestinian mustard plant, can get as tall as 12 to 15 feet, and uh, there are some that have been really trimmed nicely. I saw some pictures. But I think this gives us a better understanding of what Jesus is trying to talk about. Because it talks about how the birds of the air come in and they find safety and protection. And that idea of safety and protection is something that he pulls from the Old Testament. And so in, like in some of your translations, like as in mine, it's in all capital letters. So he's not yelling at us. You know, today, if you text somebody in all caps, you're yelling at them. All right? Um, so when Diane Weber emails me in all caps, I think she's yelling at me. So um, I got to back it down and say, no, she's probably not yelling at me. Uh, sorry, Diane, couldn't help myself. Um, so uh, anyway, so he's saying, you know, like in Ezekiel and in Psalms, uh, Daniel, I think, talks about this idea of uh, safety and protection. The birds fly in, find it. And that, you can kind of see that, right? I mean, that's not a bird. That's a gentleman. Um, so you guys know, it's not like a big bird. Um, but you can kind of see, you know, they get in there and they find safety protection. No one's going to get in there. No one's going to, you know, attack them, get a hold of them. And so that's what he's talking about. And when you think about the kingdom, it started out, it wasn't very impressive. You have Jesus Christ. Um, and from human perspective, you know, he's born in Bethlehem and he grew up in Nazareth, which, by the way, those are not really hip towns to grow up in. You know, people are not looking at him going, wow, he's from Nazareth. In fact, if you were to read further in Matthew, um, you know, they even say, well, we know this guy. He's from Nazareth. It's really kind of a put down. You know, he's kind of a, you know, from a podunk town somewhere. He was a carpenter and, you know, he came around and talked big talk, but then he ended up getting himself arrested and then killed. You know, so it's not a really big Deal. Well, then, supposedly he came back to life, which we know he did, but if a person's just kind of thinking through this, he hands it off to some other guys. Uh, a few fishermen, a tax collector, a religious zealot, and a radical Pharisee. Okay, so that's who he hands it off to. Again, doesn't seem like a really good qualified group of people to hand the greatest kingdom of all time off to. It just doesn't seem like that's what we would do. We're always looking for the best and the brightest and the smartest and the best looking and all that kind of stuff. Well, then we see that uh, it went from 120 to 3,000 in one day. That's pretty good growth, you know. Uh, people who are into church growth type stuff, they would look at that and go, man, that would be awesome to have that kind of growth. I don't even know what kind of percent growth that is. You who are mathematicians and accountants can figure that out, but... They went from 120 to 3,000, and then a few days later, they increased to over 5,000. It said 5,000 men came to Christ, so you figure in women and children. 
you know, could have been upwards of six, 7,000 people on top of that. Again, great numbers, sounds great, good start moving forward. But then uh, there are some estimates that believe and say that uh, there was only about 10,000 followers of Christ by the end of the first century because of all the persecution that had gone on. So, you know, you think 70, 80 years, a good start almost hits 10,000, but then there's probably only 10,000 left. Well, then you look at today. So we're 2,000 plus years past that. And uh, what do our numbers look like today as it pertains to those who are, are Christians or, or followers of Christ? Well, we, we don't really know. Um, it's, it's an estimate. Uh, only God really knows who's a true follower or not. But today we have 2.3 billion who claim to be Christian. Now this comes from the Pew Research Center. Um, and so I put it in quotes in Christian because they include cults that are there. There are some cults who don't believe Jesus is God, but he became a God, but they still consider themselves Christians. So 2.3 billion uh, would consider themselves Christian. Again, some are true followers, some are not. Um, I don't have it up there, I guess, but um, the Pew Research Center kind of brought it down and said, okay, how many Protestants are there? And, and Protestants being non-Catholic, um, and that kind of gets us a little bit closer to what I would say is biblical Christianity. There's 600 million uh, Protestants in the world today. Uh, but then this 127 million, um, a group called, I always forget their name, religioustolerance.org, they did a survey of born-again Christians. So using Jesus' description of what it means to be saved, he said you must be born again in John 3. So using that phrase, they looked at U.S. and Canadian adults. They said 35% of American and Canadian adults claim to be born-again Christians. Well, the total population of the U.S. and Canada combined is 362 million. Uh, it may be more than that now, but this was census, like 2010 census. So you're looking at 127 million call themselves born-again Christians in Canada and the U.S., somewhere in there. Point is, it's grown. It's grown quite a bit. It's, uh, it's a large number, certainly more than 10,000. So let's kind of skip ahead since Jesus was able to um, give John a vision of what the future is going to look like. And let's skip ahead to Revelation 7, 9 through 10. And it says this, John says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm, uh, and palm branches were in their hands, and they cried out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so at the end of time, um, we're going to have this great multitude that nobody could count. Uh, just a vast sea of people. What's interesting is that uh, if you read down into verse 14, which we're not going to do, John tells us that these are just those who came out of the tribulation period. So this isn't just the Old Testament, New Testament, church age, which is the time we're in now, and tribulation together. This was just the tribulation period that he looked out and said, I can't even count how many there are. So imagine the number of people that are going to be in the heavenly kingdom at the end of time. 
Okay, so this is uh, Denver when they welcomed the Broncos back after the Super Bowl. Those are people. Uh, just a mass of, of people. That's not even going to touch what heaven's going to look like when you look out and see the mass of people, the followers from Adam and Eve all the way to the final person, whoever that might be. Wouldn't it be cool to be the final person? I mean, that's that you'd want to test that, but um, I would recommend not doing that. But, you know, they, when you do the football draft, they always do a special story on the last person who was drafted, you know. Uh, it might be kind of funny. Maybe we'll ask the Lord, who was the last person? You know, it'd be kind of fun to hear the story. Or not. Um, I thought it was. <laughs> I thought it was. Um, but, again, the greatest kingdom to ever exist. It's going to be populated with the, the largest number ever, and it's going to be from every nation, from every tribe, and people who speak every single language there is in the world. Pretty cool. So that's the size of a kingdom. Now, how does the kingdom penetrate and permeate the world? And to me, this is, a, this is really a kind of a cool picture, and I hope you can kind of get it in your head as to what this looks like and, and what your place and my place is in this. So we have the leaven. And it's a small amount of old fermented dough that was stored in ferment, uh, fermenting juices until it is a, um, an, until used in a new batch of dough. How many of you guys have ever done friendship bread? All right, some, okay, some of you, so it's that Amish thing where they, somebody who's made some bread and then they give you a little bag and it's in friendship I give to you and then you say, oh, in friendship I take, I don't know if they do I'm just saying in this friendship I take from you. And anyways, so you take it, it's, it's fermented, all right? And you take that and you shove it into however many loaves of bread you're going to use, all right? So how, how many of you guys have actually done it? I mean, you might have heard of it. Oh, yeah, a bunch of you. Okay, we used to do it too. Um, didn't agree with me <laughs> for some reason. Uh, it was good. It was like, maybe it's because I ate so much. It could have been because I ate an entire loaf. Um, but man, yeah, I ate so much of it. Anyways, so this woman, in this parable, it says that she hid it into, into the dough. And it has this idea that she put it in in such a way that you couldn't distinguish it from the, the dough itself, but that it permeated and penetrated that entire lump of dough. The size of the dough is three pecks of flour, which I have no clue what that is, so I had to research it. it uh, it's 50 pounds of flour, how many of you guys have ever made 50 pounds of flour? I was going to have Kim put together what she would make for Norwegian buns. They're called bulla. And it's a cardamom bun. And it, they're awesome. So I had it growing up. That's why I, I kind of look like a bun. Because <laughs> it's domed. I mean, I look like it. I ate so much of it. We didn't have bread hardly in the house. You know, we'd make spam, butter the bun, you know, and eat the spam right on the bun. We'd do it with bacon, eggs. I'm sorry, I'm drooling. Uh, I'm about to start crying. Um, so, anyways, we uh, so and what it is? It's a big bowl, and she gets, and she you know punches it down, you know, and right punches it back down. Anyways, well, I didn't do it because I'd probably be sit up here eating the dough, and that would be embarrassing. 
But it's 50 pounds, and they say that this could probably feed about 480 to 500 people. And so the point is this. She's got so much dough, more dough than she could ever you know, feed her family any guests that she was going to have. And yet that little bit of leaven got in there and made a difference and impacted and permeated. And so like the mustard seed, the smallest amount of leaven will permeate the largest amount of dough, just as a kingdom which starts out small will permeate the world. The Pew Research Center said Christianity is geographically widespread, so far flung, in fact, that no single continent or region can indisputably claim to be the center of global Christianity. And it's like what John said, from every nation, from every tongue and tribe. You know, it's going to be permeated. It's going to impact all aspects and parts of our world. So just as a few Christians are strategically placed throughout the world, remember the disciples were initially placed, then the apostle Paul, who was Saul at the time, starts persecuting the church. They are pushed out into outside Jerusalem to the uttermost parts of the world. And as they are hid into the world, the gospel permeates and it, it penetrates all kinds of different hearts. It goes past every kind of anti-Christian government that's out there. I mean, you think about China today. And it, it's able to um, go into every part of society and culture, no matter how evil it is. It's powerful, and it's impactful, and it penetrates so how do these two parables breathe fresh air? How should they encourage us, especially as we think about our struggles? And, and uh, hopefully you're seeing the connection. The first thing is this. It should give us perspective. Okay? What I mean by that is this. Our lives and what we're going through, it's just not about our lives and what we're going through. It's about something that is bigger than we could ever imagine. Okay? And I'm not saying that your life or my life is insignificant. I'm not saying that our, what we're going through is not important or that God doesn't care about it. It's vitally important. He does care about it. Because he's going to use that to help make the kingdom the greatest kingdom that ever existed. That's what you and I get to be a part of. And the struggle that we're going through, the issue that we're fighting with, the circumstances that we find ourselves in, or if you're sitting here going, I don't know, life's pretty good. Just wait. Around the corner, we have some friends of ours, uh, Joe Pemberton, who goes to Grace Community Church in his 40s, um, just found out that he has a tumor, and they had to do emergency surgery and a tumor in his brain, um, and he's got cancer. We just never know. So around the corner could come the next thing, but we can't let that hit us and go, whoa, knock us off balance and, and wonder what's going on. We need to have perspective. And the perspective is God's allowing that because you and I get to have a, 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 an integral part of what he's doing to create this kingdom that is larger and bigger 
and more powerful than any kingdom that ever existed. And if you do it right, and if I do it right, we're going to be standing in that mass of people, and we're going to look around, and we're going to know some people, and we're going to know everybody, but we're going to, I'm, I'm assuming, know whose life we impact and whose didn't, who we didn't impact. We're going to know that in some cases, but we're not going to know that until we get to heaven. And I think we're going to be shocked by the number of people who are in heaven who say, hey, I remember when. You know, I never really talked to you about it, but I watched you, how you dealt with that situation or that situation, and I, I was impacted by that. I'm telling you, that should give you perspective that this situation, the things that you're going through, the circumstances that you're facing, whether it's something small and something like a work-related issue or it's health issues or it's family issues, that God's got this and he's going to use it to increase his kingdom. And you get to be a part of that. Coming off that then is this idea that you have purpose. You know, I've talked to people who don't have hope anymore. I've talked to people who just look at their life and say, man, what is the deal? Why am I going through this? Well, if we're a follower of Christ, we shouldn't be asking why. We should be asking what and who, or how and who. How should I go up against this situation, and who is it that you want me to impact because of it? That should be the question before us. Because Jesus came into this world and he announced that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's in your midst. Jesus Christ was a representation of that and it was he himself who was the kingdom. He comes to earth with that mission. He hands that mission off to 12 guys who then hand that mission off to others who now down to us today, we have that same mission and when he left earth, and when he handed that mission off to his followers, and they handed it off to us, he wants us to make a spiritual reaction in this world. Just like the lady who put the leaven in the dough makes a chemical reaction that permeates throughout that dough, God is placing us in our world today, in your world, in your little sphere of influence. God's placed you in there because he wants you to make a spiritual reaction. He wants to cause spiritual reaction through your life, how you're handling things, how, what you do, how you say things, how you respond, and that's going to react in other people's lives, in other people's hearts. And they're going to wonder, and they're going to look at it, and they're going to be like, Wow. John 17, Jesus is praying to God, and he says this, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, he's talking about his followers, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. In other words, set them aside in your truth. Your word is truth. So we need to live in that truth of God's word and not be knocked off balance by what we go through. And if we are, to get back on our feet and to look to Christ, to get from him what we need. And he says, as you sent me into the world, 
I also have sent them into the world. If, you've, if you're sitting here this morning, if you've placed your faith in Christ, one of the things you need to realize that by doing that, you became a citizen of heaven, you became an ambassador for heaven on this earth, and you've been sent into your world to cause spiritual reactions in other people's lives. And I don't mean that in a, you know, I don't mean that getting in people's faces. I don't mean that causing irritations and frustrations. It's just a natural thing that leaven does and do, and it's just a natural thing that Christians do when they're around people who need Christ. We should have the right perspective, and we need to know we have purpose, and then lastly, we have power. And that power is Jesus Christ himself through his Holy Spirit. So when we've given our lives to Christ, God declares us not guilty. God places his Holy Spirit in our lives, not just as a guarantee to be in heaven one day, but to empower us. So that when we're going through a difficult time, we don't just so, you know, sit there and wring our hands and say, oh man, I just hope I can get through this day and I don't even know what I'm going to do. And it's just, whoa, 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 oh, 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 somebody help me, somebody help me. We go into God's word and we say, Father, give me what I need for the day. Help me to know how I'm going to get through this day. So then God's Holy Spirit gives us understanding as we're spending time in his word. Remember? Sanctified in the truth. Your word is truth. And so we, are, we need to be in God's word. That's why I constantly challenge you guys. You need to be in God's word. And then God's Holy Spirit teaches you. And then as you're going through the day, those things are in your mind and in your heart, and you're thinking about those things. And then when you come up against whatever it is that you're struggling with, God's Holy Spirit's going to give you the words to say. And then God's Holy Spirit's going to say, take a step of faith. Do it my way. Respond to your boss the way I want you to respond, not the way you want to respond. Respond to your spouse or respond to your kids or you know, again, whatever the issue might be, respond to it the way I'm directing you to do that. And then God's Holy Spirit gives us the strength to do it. But we have to take that step of faith. And I shared this, I think, a couple of weeks ago, but I love this verse. It's uh, Peter and John, and they're standing before the religious leaders. And again, it gives me a lot of hope for myself. That's why I like it. Acts 4.13 says this, now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John, talking about the religious leaders, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated, untrained, that's the part I like. Um, I mean, I'm educated and trained, but sometimes I feel like I know nothing. But they were uneducated and untrained. They were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Why? Because they were talking like Jesus. They stood in the face of their circumstance, their potential arrest and death, and they stood there with the confidence that Jesus had when he was arrested, when he went to the cross. And they had that confidence, and they had that understanding, and they they spoke like Jesus, they responded like Jesus, and the people were going, wow, they are like Jesus. They're acting just like him. And and when we do that, people are going to see a difference in us. And just like the parable of the, the, the seed, the sower, and the, and the soil, sower and the soil, that the, the seed is being thrown out there, and it's going to land on different kinds of hearts. 
Well, how we respond, that's part of that sowing of the seed. And as we impact people, and as they start going, having that spiritual reaction in their life, and then they come to us for an answer, we need to tell them about Jesus. We need to tell them the reason why I'm like this is because of my relationship with Christ. What? I don't understand that. Well, this is how it works. I gave my life to Christ. God's forgiven me of my sins, and, and His Holy Spirit's living in me. And when I read the Bible, it's not, you know, it sounds kind of weird, I know. It sounds kind of, ooh, I, I get it. But if I'm reading the Bible, it starts to make sense to me. And then I, I start living the way He wants me to, to live. And then it, God like lines everything out, and I get peace, and I get wisdom, and I, make, I seem to make better decisions, and my needs are met, and it's just the way God says it's going to do it. And He does it. And then they get more interested. If, if their heart is prepared, if their heart's not prepared, they go, eh, and they walk away. You've done your job. You've sown the seed. That's what we need to be doing. It's not our job to save people. It's our job to point people to Christ. And when we're going through difficult times, God's allowing those difficult times in us, and we need to make sure we have the right perspective. We need to make sure that we know we have a purpose, that he has a purpose for that, and that we respond to it in his power and respond to it properly in a way he wants us to respond to it. I'm not really sure how to end this service. <laughs> be totally honest with you. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end it this way. I know some of you guys are going through difficult times. Uh, I don't know everybody's life situation. But I want to offer this to you. If you're going through a difficult time, and you're like, you know, Harold, I just need some extra support right now. I just need some extra knowing people are behind me. I'd love to have you come forward, okay? And I know we don't do this a whole lot, and you might be going, people are going to see me. Yeah, well, people are going to see you. (laughs) That's what life's all about. But feel free to come forward and Let's just pray together. And if once those people are here, if others want to come and just kind of be around them and put hands on them, and let's just pray for those who are going through difficult times. If nobody comes forward, I'll close the service. I don't want to make anybody push anybody. Okay, I just, just thought maybe that's the way we should end our service. So I'm not going to make this an uncomfortably long wait. The guys know that when I have awkward silence, I can only handle it for about 30, 30 seconds. So, But if you'd like, if you'd like to come, just say, hey, pray for us. We're not going to ask you what the issue is, but if you want to, just come forward and we'll pray for you. If not, all right. Thanks, Tara. Anybody else? All right. I won't even make you kneel or anything. You just... Stand up here. All right, great. Anybody else wants to come and just be that support? Feel free to come up, lay your hands on them, just be here for them, let them know. Let them know someone's got their back literally because you're standing right behind them. But this is, this is what a, a family does, okay? This is what we're supposed to be doing and I'm not going to be the one who shares their stories. That's for them to share if they want to. Some of you guys know their stories. Some of you don't. 
The point is, this is what a church family does. We need to be here for each other. Some of you guys have gone through stuff already in your life, and you've seen God take you through that. And so you're the person that can come into these people's lives and just say, hey, this is, this is what God did for me. This is how I screwed up. <laughs> this is how I maybe didn't track with God for a while. And then this is what happened when I got back and, and encouraged them in that way. Uh, I get to know, you know, because I'm the pastor, <laughs> So I get to hear them. But you guys are able to, to make that impact as well. So let me go ahead and just pray for these guys um, and join with us. Lord, I want to thank you for this morning. And, and I thank you for these that have come forward who are saying, yeah, we've got things in our lives right now that are just too much to handle and, and frustrating and, um, and difficult. But Lord, I'm so thankful for your word and I'm so thankful for your promises. But Lord, you need to, you need to strengthen us. You, you need to empower us to be able to hang on to those promises. To be reminded of them in the heat of the moment. In that moment when we're in the middle of the night and we wake up and we're um, thinking about these things and worry starts to overcome us and we start questioning things, questioning you that your Holy Spirit would just take that time and just penetrate our hearts and our minds with your word. Father, I pray for these, that they would be in your word, that they would take that seriously, that they would get to know who you are, and that your truth would penetrate their hearts and their minds, and, and that they would be actively seeking ways of demonstrating their obedience to you and then watching you make the impact. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in these lives, because I know that you're making impact. Marriages are getting uh, ordered, and, and relationships are getting put back together, and I'm so thankful for that. And um, Lord, I just pray that you continue to do that in our church, and that you would use these who have come forward, that you'd heal them, that you would give them victory. And even as they're still going through, that they would be willing to talk to others in our church family and encourage them to hang on to you and to watch you do a great work. And when it's all said and done, here on this earth, and especially when we get to heaven one day, that we'll be giving you the praise and the glory that you deserve. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. You are dismissed.